The following has been a public, public radio production. We thank you, the listeners, for joining us on this revelatory journey of Heidelberg, loss, singing, and triumph. It's true that former Obersturbenfuhrer Klaus Schnudelnudel was sent to Nuremberg, Germany to be tried for his crimes. However, there is no known footage or audio of his trial. Rumor has it that the prisoner Schnudelnudel gave his final statement in the soliloquy so tediously long that the court cameraman temporarily dozed off, letting his equipment fall to the floor, smashed. Of course, our PPR team is more concerned with truth over rumors, so we've discounted the wives' tale. But what we do know is that MI6 operative and police sergeant Maximilian Epstein escorted him to and from his cell, watching on as his former commandant was given 20 years in prison. Klaus would go on to write and direct pro-ally apology shows in jail, including Bye Bye Berlin, Triumph of the Will, Shatner, and Oops, I Did It, open parentheses the first time but never close parentheses again. According to those close to him, he would never find that big show, but he was never closer than at Heidelberg in 1944. Sergeant Detective Maximilian Epstein would work as a special operative for the Secret Intelligence Service for 30 years, investigating and rectifying injustices throughout the Cold War. In fact, he would go on to write a book of his Cold War exploits entitled War and Cold, The Warm Cold and the War Called the Cold War, which was dubbed by critics as too confusing and cryptic to really ever understand what's happening. That said, He was ever-present in the geopolitical conflict of Europe, and Prime Minister Winston Churchill once famously declared about the performer spy that, quote, an iron curtain had descended across the continent, only to be lifted from Maximilian Epstein to sing and dance. I hope he does June Christie. I love her rubbish. He retired and lived the rest of his days in Dublin, Ireland, where he taught covert operative techniques at the school he founded, the appropriately named Joanna Marmalade Academy for Security, Sexual Banter, and Love. My grandmother, Anna Ullengard, would also grow to rise in the ranks of the British Secret Service. In fact, after her stint at Heidelberg, she emigrated fully to England, dropping her natural German affect entirely in favor of a more highly regarded Queen's English. Her experience in the field at Heidelberg would help her ascend to the top of MI6, but her consuming paranoia would prompt her to adopt a new nickname, M, which of course was short for Mrs. Ullengard. Milo Menken and Ilse von Hammerstein did eventually make it to the highest mountaintop in Vienna and were married. Of course, as relative newcomers to Vienna, they were hardly aware of the fact that there are no mountains in Vienna, so the trek was easier than imagined. Ilsa would go on to pursue her ballet intermixed with crumping career with surprising success, even founding a dance group that would ultimately make its way to America, called the Jabberwockies. But her career was cut short when she shattered both of her legs and critically injured two audience members in an apparent crumping too hard and too fast accident. She was sued for damages, and in court, her lawyer claimed that, quote, the mental constitution of this woman prevents her from fully understanding anything, let alone the repercussions of actions that had been normalized for so long, end quote. 
Milo would adopt that same rationalization for his ex-Nazi wife for the remainder of his days. Mademoiselle Ernestine Fluff was presumed dead after the bombing of Heidelberg. However, more than one conspiracy theorist and clown enthusiast reported spotting her in the 1960s, coaching up-and-comers in the grittier Eastern European circus rings. Our PPR team traced the rumors all the way to the Bulgarian State School of Circus Arts in Sofia, but found nothing but whispers of long cigarettes and French exasperation to counter the more probable theory that she had, in fact, died. That said, prominent sports media pundit Skip Bayless has a wife named Ernestine. So that could be something. Pure Herman Hamburgers became exactly that. For the remainder of 1944, until just before VE Day, he stood in as the body double and de facto leader of Nazi Germany, while the prior Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, chased his theater dreams in Argentina. Those in his inner circle reported that Hermann rather envied Heinrich Himmler's position of number two, often sitting in his chair at official meetings, abruptly arising midway through to bring him pretzels and handheld fans. When he finally did take his own life in his bunker with Charles Lindbergh, the man chosen for Eva Braun's body double, he left a note. The erratic scribblings were nearly all illegible except for the sign-off, Love the Bull. Rumor has it that Joseph Stalin himself found the note and joked amongst his circle that a Nazi would pick a nickname of an animal with horns, just like Yudi. They all laughed and riffed about the Jubal. Ex-Führer Adolf Hitler failed in his Argentinian theater pursuit. It became apparent very quickly that he did not, in fact, have any talent. He waited tables for three years and did coincidentally end up changing his name to Alan Hitler. He grew a ponytail and began giving fan boat tours for extra money, where he was eaten by a crocodile. They say that just as his head was chomped to bits, someone on board recognized the Führer. The boaters cheered wildly for the crocodile who himself seemed to smile at his mitzvah. But the crocodile's warm satisfaction from his good deed would gradually wear off as he swam back to the part of the wetlands where he lives. The Fuhrer's soul inside him would grow to consume him, and he would eventually grow his own short and fat mustache and spark nationalist populist movements all over Crocktown. After a period of sharp civil unrest, his rival crocodile party gained power, exiling him from the commune and forcing him to eat a whole alarm clock. The tic-tac croc would drift off, shaving his mustache before running into his biggest foe yet, Captain Hook. Captain Hook was the captain of a little boat. No! What? Stop! Stop! What? Just do the people in the actual camp. But this is important. This is important to the narrative, to closure. It's not, it's not important to either of those things, please. We talked about this. We just have one more. Okay, fine. Captain Hook was a particular- I just read my index card wrong, okay? Is that okay with you? Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. God fucking ass. Ugh. And lastly, we know for certain that Finance Minister Carter Newport died before the bombing of Heidelberg, shot and killed 
by the brazen Hayworth man, Martinez. Nevertheless, his legacy was carried on by his father, Carter Newport Sr., who maintained until his death that his son had been, quote, kidnapped against his will and did not volunteer as a Nazi because, quote, he couldn't get an entry-level job at a boutique investment firm, let alone his piece-of-shit dad's. Indeed, many would lionize the former finance minister with statues erected in his name, Carter pointing and laughing at the words erected in his name on the nameplate. Though the truth has since come out, many prominent political figures still laud Carter's work for ironically stopping the spread of Nazism in America. As former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton once posited, Many would-be sign-ups saw Carter at these rallies and almost immediately left. He was so annoying, so incessant about things being too PC, triggered culture, and beer pong rules that literally thousands of young men were deterred. We believe these men were able to take a good, hard objective look at American Nazism through Carter. That even if you strip away all the ignorant, odious, dangerous views, these people are just annoying to be around. And now, to destroy some emails. That's not part of it. Yes, it is! Ha! Suck it, libs! Anyway, that's our show. Tune in next time, where our team unpacks the mystery behind the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand.